This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Driven by Data, the podcast, season two, powered by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. We're delighted to bring you another season of Driven by Data, the podcast, which boasts even more data analytics and AI thought leaders from across the globe. Our aim remains the same to uncover how some of the most prominent leaders within the data analytics community tackle our industry's most trending topics, told in order to share knowledge, ideas and experience. And just as in season one, to give back to the global data and analytics community. Sit back, relax and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, season two. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Rob Walker, who is the Vice President of Decision Management and Analytics at Pegasystems. So, Rob, thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, happy to be here. Good, good. Um, So, I know this has been a a long time coming, Rob. We're kind of pushing it back and forth for for a little while. It seems at an age since since we spoke. So, Glad we've uh, finally managed to kind of make it work. But I guess where we always start is by asking our guests to give themselves a brief introduction into their background and, I guess, journey to date up until this point, if uh, if you'd been so kind. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. And uh, especially, you know, talking about data and analytics, that has been my background for, for a very long time. I don't even care to admit to how long that is but um, but I um, it, it, it started with um, getting a PhD in AI which was way 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 before it was fashionable um, and um, after that I then had a, a, a good stint at a, a large system integrator but I was responsible for their um, you know data and analytics innovation um, and that kind of uh, that kind of thing um, after that, I fulfilled um, uh, a dream that I had had for a long time and started my own company. Actually, a British company, technically, although we were essentially most of it was uh, was happening in um, in the Netherlands. Um, and that company was all about data and analytics, but sort of leveling it up um, to um, to what is probably not a verb, but everybody's using it, like you know, for decisioning, and we coined the term next best action and. You know, that got us going. Um, we had some great traction and we then sold the company. We had a, you know, a handful of suitors. So that was nice when you're selling a company. We sold it to a company in the, in the Bay Area, actually, in, uh, in, the, in the US, a company called Cordian, which really focused on the customer experience. And then Pega acquired that company, especially for this space. Uh, around data and analytics, um, and this is all very long wind way of saying that I've been in this space for a for a very long time. Uh, at Pega, I'm the general manager responsible for for this area. Nice, yeah. Thank you very much for for the introduction. So, I guess for the listeners that aren't too familiar with Pega and and, and what you do over there, just give us a, a brief outline of the business and uh, you know what what you do and who you're helping and all of that type of good stuff. Yes, yes. So Pega, short for Pega Systems, um, essentially specializes in, in, in two things at a high level, right? So on the one hand, and it's obviously what we'll be talking about here, but it's, it's, it's making decisions, typically customer decisions at an, uh, at an enterprise scale, right? Really in the heart of, you know, real-time interactions 
that kind of thing. So it's really decisions about customer needs and company objectives. Uh, so that's the space I'm responsible for. Um, but on the other hand, Pega also does sort of, you know, the work that comes out of that, right? So it allows companies to define and execute um, complex processes and, and, and do case management. And then in some areas, those two areas, you know, join up, um, like in customer service. So at that level, Pega is the sum total of what we call one-to-one customer engagement, intelligent automation, and um, customer service. And, and Pega typically does those kind of things, you know, that's kind of software for um, pretty large, complex organizations that have millions of customers, right? So that's the complexity. We like to say we crush complexity, um, <laughs> and um, and that's definitely what we do. And that involves crushing the data, of course. Yeah. So I guess a, a large portion of, of what you're doing over there is to help typically very large businesses to understand their customers and make better decisions around next best action on that effectively. Is that right? That is correct. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and yeah. that's also why, you know, I said like, you know, I said, you know, very large, let's qualify that, but it's, it's, it's usually companies with at least a few million customers, right? Because then you have the volume and you have the data to, you know, sort of start doing these kind of things in a smart way. Yeah. Makes sense. Okay, fine. And obviously as the, the GM, um, obviously full responsibility of that, but what does the day-to-day look like for you in terms of, you know, what, what are you up to, what you're tasked with achieving from a high level? Yeah. So, so I'm responsible for, you know, for this whole space, right? So from, from, from the product perspective, um, I need to make sure that this remains um, a, a very market leading capability. Um, so that's important, but Equally important, if not more important, maybe, is that um, I also spend a lot of time and my team spends a lot of time to making sure that, you know, th- th- there's a best practice for doing this, right? Because uh, I'm sure we'll talk about, but this is, this is a, you know, a transformation, especially this, this move to the one-to-one space. You want to make sure, you know, the returns are amazing, but you want to make sure that, um, you know, that is done well, both technically uh, because it's integrating into a lot of different channels, uh, but also organizationally, right, where the focus is really on the customer um, and, and making sure that the lines of businesses, that everybody is happy, right, and that this all works, right, that you basically define, you know, the best in next best action in the, in the right way. So I speak to a lot of um, executives in, um, in industries um, where, you know, this one-to-one vision is really becoming, you know, the vision. Um, I think that started sort of in telecommunication because there was such a fierce competition um, that that became uh, a really, really big thing around retention and then, you know, cross-sell, upsell. Uh, then banking followed, followed sweet. And uh, and um, and now um, we see a lot of uptake in, um, in insurance. So daily life for me is like, you know, talking about the product, talking to our customers, um, but also making sure that when this is implemented, we know exactly, you know, how that works. What will happen in the first ninety days? What data do we need per industry, and uh, how do you set it up organizationally to make it a success? Yeah, absolutely. Um, t- two things that you mentioned there, which I'm excited to dig into, and one was around transformation. The other one was around returns, right? Because they're probably two 
unintentionally, but buzzwords in the industry right now in terms of, you know, the the change that needs to happen in an organisation to get the most out of these initiatives, first and foremost. And then obviously that big question around how do we calculate and put a tangible number on ROI, which is a, yes. a forever debated topic in our industry. But I guess good starting point then. So why why is it so important? Why has there been this shift to organizations wanting to kind of get to that one-to-one model of engagement with their customers yeah well i think just like um just sort of starting on the negative side of this right i think the the, the current model is not really working right if we're if we're honest right we everybody is you know getting fatigued with 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 messages um they're based on segments or they're based on the average customer in a segment admittedly but it's still a very um you know, it's not a very granular way of getting to your uh, to your customers, um, uh, and I think what a lot of companies, especially in industries where there's a fear of getting disrupted, um, um, are doing is like you know they're trying to get really a lot closer and be a lot more relevant to their customers. Uh, and I don't think that's just a nice thing to do, right? Everybody, you know, it's like talking about you know customer centricity, but it can't just be you know lip service. Uh, I think this whole thing is like. Um, almost like a moat around the castle, right? Fending off disruptors. <laughs> um, yeah. and, and the other thing is that I think everybody now realizes, and AI has a lot of, you know, has boosted this a lot, which I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll talk about. But I think we're, we're, there's this spiral of, you know, trying to create trust and then you get more meaningful interactions. Uh, because of those interactions, you get more data, you get feedback on what you're doing with that data, which creates more relevance, which creates more trust. Right, and that's a very rewarding um, spiral, right? And I think in one to one, in that vision, you know, and the vision is is relatively old, right? I read about this, I think, in the in the eighties, right? It just wasn't technically possible, um, and maybe the urgency wasn't there, but that definitely um, is the case now. I mean, in the one to one vision, uh, the choice is about like you know, of all the things a brand can talk to its customers about, right? What is right now in this particular channel, in this context, the thing that would most further the relationship, right? And it's the best thing to talk about. Um, and it can't just be sales, right? If it's only sales or fulfilling one product's KPI, um, you know, you get like a, a lot of suboptimal silos, right? It needs to be about company revenues and customer satisfaction. And, you know, we'll talk about ROI, but trying to optimize sort of what I would call unhelpful tactical KPIs focused on, you know, traditional marketing campaigns. Um, it's just not cutting it. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? Because there's there's this whole sphere around personalization, which I think in kind of a nutshell yes. is basically what you're alluding to about trying to get to that point of for every individual customer, every individual engagement that you have that it's as personalized as possible, which, as you said, drives trust and drives buy-in and drives the customer experience and therefore satisfaction and all of that type of stuff, which which makes sense. I guess there's obviously always that, I guess, disparity between what it takes to do that versus the value that it brings for the customer, right? So let, let's kind of try and frame that then. I guess how 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 does that journey unfold in terms of what's the value for the customer versus actually what it takes to, to get there, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think I think for, for the customer, I think it's relatively straightforward. And I mean, we're all customers, right? So 
I think we all appreciate that we get a lot of spam mail and even for brands we, we relatively trust right it's not it's not that inviting you know to open the email because it's like random you know it's 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 not really as relevant as it as it could be so for for the customers it's about having meaningful and and coherent conversations across the channels you know that needs to all collaborate and over time so i'm not wasting my time the moment is important for me uh, and also, it's a mix of conversation, right? It's not just about sales, right? When you need something from me, right? It's surfacing messages, nurturing messages, uh, useful information, advice, health checks in some industry, right? It can't just be about sales. So I think that value, I think, is 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 is, is well established. Uh, the question is, is that you know valuable to the company, right? The companies, most companies are not charities, right? So um, in the end. Uh, what we found, and, and honestly, this is not even rocket science, right? You don't need to be a data scientist to understand that if you have a campaign based on averages, even if you use advanced analytics to target it a little bit, it's going to get very different results than if you say, hey, listen, we're now talking to, to Kyle or to Rob, and of a thousand different things we could potentially do, or even a few tens of things we could potentially talk about, this is the thing that is actually going to add most to the value um, is going to get you a lot better results, right? So the payout of this um, has been usually 3x to 5x the conversion rates, right? Which is, you know, wow. amazing. Um, and um, the value to the company, I think, even to the brand, I think is, is, is pretty, pretty massive. Yeah. And all of that makes sense, right? Because I think, as you mentioned, it's fairly obvious to the customer, you know, if they're not receiving very frequent messages that aren't relevant, that obviously, you know, creates that trust, makes them more likely to become a customer or purchase more things if they already are a customer and so on and so forth. And therefore, for the organization itself, right, it's more conversion, more money, you know, more sales, et cetera, et cetera. I guess from an organizational perspective, though, when you're in there advising and talking to these companies, what's the difference between the way that was done previously and getting to that point of that kind of one-to-one engagement in terms of cost, timescales, like how different is that? And, you know, how does that affect the overall journey of, of that playing out? Yeah, I think that's a fair thing. And, and I don't want to sort of, you know, make that smaller than it is because the transformation of, of, of not paying lip service to customer centricity is really a transformation but the, um, the light at the end of the tunnel is exceptionally bright though right it's it's, it's, it's honestly um, the ROI on this is um, something um, well we certainly haven't been shy about but it's also very clearly established now I think in industries where this is becoming um, where this is becoming a, a thing. Right? But if you look at like the data and analytics perspective, how is it, how is it different? Uh, I would say in a couple of things. So first of all, when I talk to you know, a lot of you know, data science uh, folks or the chief data analytics officer, I find that data science is almost always in support of narrow goals. I mean, important goals, but narrow goals, right? It's like answering questions like, who's going to buy this product? Uh, what will be the risk? To the company, if they do so, will this customer leave us? You know, retention questions and things like that. In the one-to-one model, there is at least one predictive model behind every single action, you know, that is being considered, that's in the mix, right? It's a really mm-hmm. critical point of, you know, the best in um, in next best uh, in next best action. 
And that means that a company will have hundreds of these models. And that requires a mindset in the data science team that focuses on, on throughput and, and activation, right? Not, not sort of more project-focused one-offs. That's also important, right? But this needs to be about, can we get that data? Can we uh, you know, not boil the ocean having all the data? Let's make sure we get the analytics right. And if we have the analytics right, let's make sure we can get that actually into production so we can start earning money for us, right? I think that's a, it's a different mindset, right? If you look in the UK, for instance, you know, a bank like NetWest or a communication company like, uh, like O2 or Vodafone, they will make um, hundreds of real-time prediction uh, during every single interaction, like hundreds of predictions, right? And then when a customer says, no, or, well, that's interesting, but maybe it's a little too expensive, right? So the context is changing. Then these hundreds of predictive models are re-evaluated, right, to calculate the next best action, right? And it's that dynamic, real-time thing that makes them so relevant and so, you know, good at what they, um, at what they do. And that's not, an easy, that's not an easy thing. So I think the function of data and analytics, first of all, becomes even more important. But secondly, um, it, it, it really needs a focus on, you know, getting things into production and life in the different uh, channels. Yeah. And that makes sense. And that's, I guess, fascinating that there are companies out there that are doing that at such speed and scale, you know, in real time, as it, as it were, to calculate what the next best action would be based on, you know, a yes or a no from a, from a customer. Yes. How does that play out behind the scenes in terms of kind of identifying what those value propositions are, right? Because, you know, you talked about earlier, if you're speaking to Kyle or you're speaking to Rob, it's about trying to make that as message as, as valuable to them as possible and choosing the right thing, you know, whether it's over a thousand options or whether it's 10 options, you know, picking the right thing will, you know, I appreciate that's where the data analytics comes in. But how does that, how does that all piece together kind of from a, technical perspective to allow that to work yeah well i think a huge thing and this is honestly probably the biggest breakthrough since you know the the late 80s when i think this sort of concept first surfaced right i mean um ai plays a big role right because otherwise i, I talked about the data scientists right and the, and the focus of getting things in production um, but if you have like hundreds or low thousands even, right, because you may want to have propensity models around different treatments or timing or lots of different things, so there will be a lot of these models. Um, and, you know, you need to activate hundreds of them. And all of them need to be reliable. They obviously need to be accurate, right? They need to be auditable. Um, um, and they need to be highly predictive. And there's just not enough data scientists in the world, right, to create and then monitor um, each of them. Um, and I think what AI has been giving us is, is this ability to transform like what I would call a predictive modeling laboratory mindset, but also technically from a tooling perspective into, um, into a factory, right? Where you can really, you know, get these models into production real quick and then complement that with like a massive but safe self-learning capability. I think without that, this is just a pipe dream. Right, but that has been happening for I would think maybe the last ten years and the last five years, fully in production with largest brands in the world. Um, but that self-learning capability, I think, is uh, is incredibly 
important. And, and one thing to add, because we're talking about data and analytics, is I think another thing that I see that's not optimal in many ways is that there is a tendency to sort of boil the ocean on, on the data side, right? Because, you know, garbage in, garbage out. So there's a lot of effort and a lot of money spent on getting the data right, which is not a bad idea, obviously, right? But you really need to do that top down, right? So fraud from the KPIs, you know, what kind of decisions do we need to make? Then from those kind of decisions, what kind of predictions would underlie a decision like that? Right? What kind of propensity models or retention models or risk models do we need? And then from these models, what is the data that they require? And what's the minimum lovable data, so to speak, right, that would be required to get to these returns while we keep adding to the quality of the data? Right? There, you can waste a lot of time getting the data perfect. Um, and, and, and that will have been at the expense of incredible, um, you know, profits and, 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 and customer satisfaction. Absolutely. How does that play out in real life then, Rob? Because um, as with most things in our industry, there's always this, you know, big idea typically, right? And I imagine around many boardrooms, oh, this, yeah. this is one of them, right? Yeah, okay, we want to get to a point of one-to-one engagement. As you rightly said, you know, you can't therefore then go and acquire all the data that you can get your hands on and then think about it later. It's got to be focused around KPIs that suit the business needs, of course. But how do you get from that big idea of, right, we want to try to get to that one-to-one point of engagement as a business as quickly as we can? How does that conversation unfold in terms of identifying which KPIs you know, businesses should should focus on? Yeah, and I and I and I think I think that's sort of the the other really serious breakthrough, right? So on the technology side, you know, we we talked about AI helping data scientists and things like that. So that's all that's all that's all great stuff. But I think I would say that the first half of my career was probably you know being that kind of evangelist and saying, hey, this is the big idea. We can really really do it, right? We can we can we can do these kind of things. Um, and I remember a long time ago talking to uh, O2 in the UK who were embracing that idea, but were, you know, conscious that this is a novel idea, very analytics driven. So they were trying it out. They were, you know, champion challengering everything, uh, which was great. I mean, at the time I thought they would should go faster, but they were actually right and they were careful. Um, but it, it was also led us to see you know how powerful that is right and i think that's the breakthrough that we've had like i would think for at least the last five or six years right where major brands in all these industries are actually doing this right so you know it just works at scale they trust it they trust the ai it's responsible ai they 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 see it can scale to you know in some cases hundreds of millions of decisions uh, every day right billions a year um, and, and that makes these boardroom discussions, honestly, a lot easier, right? So I usually mm. start with the ROI on it because that's relatively straightforward to calculate. So that's a big number. And from there, it's like, okay, that's great. Is that really true? And then I can point to, you know, these companies that are doing it. And then the next question is, well, can we do it? And then, you know, we now have a massive experience, you know, rolling these kind of things out in, in, in a, a very short time. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to ask you to give away all your secrets here, Rob, but talk us through that kind of framework or process you use by which you articulate how you get to that ROI figure, if you would. Yes. Well, 
the, the, the completely honest answer is it takes a little bit more work than normal. And, and, and I think it's probably worth spending a minute going, going through that, right? So here's the thing. Um, if you have a traditional marketing campaign, what it gives you is a relatively predictable return, right? I mean, if, if I'm going to do this, I sort of know my response rate. If I'm going to send it to so many people, this is approximately what I get. So that's nice. You can have a good forecast. Um, unfortunately, the response rate of a campaign on average is about 1%, right? So you're missing is the really? mark. To, wow. to Yeah, it is. Now, that's the average. And that's not even our number, right? That's like, a, and maybe you may, may get to 5% if it's particularly relevant and timely and people are waiting for it. But that's not true on average. Um, but regardless, let's be very, very generous. And let's say if it's 10%. Rate, right, which is which is really insane. Um, but then, even then, nine out of ten people get a message. You're wasting a moment with them that you could have used for something relevant, right? And in the one-to-one -one model, you're picking from all the different things, right? That could be relevant, uh, which is awesome. But the ROI is at the enterprise level, and not all companies are used to you know looking at it. Like because one line of business, for instance, may lose out one day, right? Because the moments that were you know in the mix that were available for, uh, for, for, for decisions leaned more towards, you know, even more relevant things. And, and maybe there was another line of business or another product group, or maybe there were service issues that we needed to address to establish the relationship to then later sell, right? So it becomes a little bit less predictable per product, but it becomes very predictable at the enterprise, at the enterprise level, right? So to do this well, and this is what we do all the time, it's like, you know, we do all of these simulations, right, to show like all the lines of businesses and other stakeholders to say, hey, this is if you run this tomorrow, if we go live, if we activate this strategy tomorrow, this is what you get. This is how much you will sell. Um, but also this is the accumulated risk to the company. If this may be a bank or an insurance company. Uh, and this is the revenue, revenue expectations. Right. So it's a holistic way of doing it, making it a little harder. Um, but, um, um, you know, a little harder if you did it the old-fashioned way, right? There's obviously tooling around this to make that possible. Um, but, you know, it's really about huge numbers. So it's, it's, it's very much worth it. Yeah, that makes sense. And I guess feeds quite nicely into the transformation piece that you kind of mentioned earlier, because I guess if you, you know, if, if we're being crude about this, right, the, the real the real reason why any organizations are doing anything with data analytics at all is because they want to add more money in some way, shape or form to the bottom line, right? You know, even, even if we're talking yeah. about customer experience, right, it's because they want those customers to, 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 to buy more or add more customers or whatever the case may be. So it, it all comes back to that. But how has that transformation unfolded? Because that's a very different way of thinking about it, right? And traditionally, uh, I'm sure if I just think to my experience of the stuff that I've received over the years, it's normally, you know, multiple touch points, maybe across different channels, but it's always sales related, right? And before you started talking about, you know, the right type of yeah. message at the right time yes. on the right platform, it doesn't have to necessarily be, you know, look, here's a deal or, you know, buy this or buy that. It can be a nurture type of message, how has that transformation played out in terms of the advice and support that you've had to give to business leaders and to organizations to think differently about this? How has that trying to kind of transformational journey unfolded? Yes, uh, that, that's a great question. And, and 
um, in practice, so what we do, and this, this varies a little bit by industry, so per industry, you know, if this is banking or insurance or telco or healthcare, uh, it's a little it's a little different of sort of where to begin. Um, but we have this matrix of sort of business issues that we, we, we call them. Um, so cross-sell, upsell would be one, but retention is one, and then surface and nurture and, you know, all of these things are, are different sort of, you know, business issues that you want to, what you want to address. And then there is channels, right? So that gives us a matrix. And then for each of these industries, what I typically talk about and what, you know, the team is talking about when they talk to uh, companies that start that implementation is like, hey, what is sort of, you know, where do you want to start? For each of these industries, we say this is the low-hanging fruit if you want to follow the money, which is probably a good idea, honestly, to start with, you know, the money, get the return, get everybody really excited about the potential before you sort of start adding, you know, nurturing and 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 sort of other less tangible, less financially tangible um, issues that you could add to the to the mix of the customer strategy. But I think all of these companies are definitely buying into like, listen, this is our customer engagement engine, you know, for the enterprise, right? Pretty much every single thing we might talk to uh, a customer about either at outbound channels or inbound channels, even in paid media channels through Facebook or Google will be centrally orchestrated because in that way we can really maximize the, the returns. And then it's really a question, as you say, to sort of, you know, where do you start? And then we pick, you know, that 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 start. That is like typically like ninety days implementations where we know exactly because we've done this a lot of times. Is like this is the data you need. This is the tasks we need to perform. You know, to go live in one or two channels. We we typically prefer two channels because that will set the mindset that it's really about customers first, right, and then. The channel. So if you do it in two channels, that get the right mindset, and then you can add the other channels later. Um, but but essentially, that's sort of the the journey. And there's an ROI for each of these components. Mm, yeah, I guess does does that kind of moving into that one to one model does does it make it easier to articulate the kind of tangible ROI figures, or does it make it more difficult? No, well, I think it's a little bit of what I said before. I think you do need to require simulation, right? Because it's not just one campaign where you say, I'm going to send it to, you know, 100,000 people. I will get like, you know, a thousand positive responses and that's an easy ROI, but it's also a very low conversion rate. Right now, because every single decision will be about what's best for the long term or shorter term, you can decide um, company goal right, breaks out of all of these silos. So although the forecast for a silo uh, may be um, a little a little harder to do, the overall forecast at an enterprise level is very reliable. And then it's actually the opposite. Like you go back to the lines of businesses or the other stakeholders and you say, hey, if we did this, you know, this is what you'll get. If you don't like it, we can, you know, lever it up um, you know, increase that priority, but you will actually also see the opportunity cost of doing so, right? So it's a it's a it's a great um, 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 mechanism, I would say, forcing function almost. Given the, the given the the returns on this, it's a great forcing function to sort of become truly customer centric and realize, you know, the cost of doing things the old fashioned way, right? And 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 wasting moments on things that are you know not relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and anyway, so that's the ROI. So it typically requires a simulation, 
And then you would say, hey, listen, this is this is how many, if this is a bank, this is how many credit cards we will probably sell this week. This is how many mortgages we will probably sell this week. And then you can sort of tweak the model, but all of that will have um, you know a high, high conversion rate. Yeah. How is the, I guess, advancement in technology from a consumer kind of habit perspective, right? Because, you know, once upon a time it was direct mail, right? And, and, and uh, SMS, right? And now obviously yes. you've got all these platforms, you know, across Facebook, across Google and Instagram and LinkedIn and yada, yada, yada. How, how has yes. that kind of changed the landscape in terms of navigating that journey and choosing which are the right channels? Because I guess ultimately it comes down to right message, right customer, right time, right platform often, right? Yes, no, absolutely. And that right, right, right. I mean, that's obviously, you know, right, right, right message, right time, right channel. Um, you know, I mean, that's easy to say, right? It's easy to say also in PowerPoint and on web pages, right? But to actually <laughs> do that, you know, filtering in real time in milliseconds, you know, through all the different options and say, yeah, this is the right thing to talk about with a lot of AI and, and data science models, you know, to back that up. Um, that's really not a that's really not a trivial thing. So we usually, um, to your question, um, start in, in digital channels. And that's just because that's where the draw is, but also where there's the traffic, right? And that means that because there's the traffic, the, the self-learning capabilities and the AI can get up to speed real, real quick. And then because it's the same strategy, it's the same next best action strategy that you apply across all the channels. Once that's learned, you know, once you have calibrated that, in the digital channels that are high traffic, um, you then connect it to the you know more traditional channels like like email or mail or kiosks you know or ATMs or you know any of the channels you have. So most of these sort of starting points um, start off with like uh, they're a little sales focused, but with an eye on the price, um, and they start in digital channels. Although sometimes in communications it starts with retention in the contact center as the first you know, money maker uh, before it expands to other issues, business issues and other channels. Yeah, that makes, that makes sense. So obviously the, the whole artificial intelligence piece is kind of key component to be able to get enterprise scale businesses doing this at, you know, close or if not in, in real time, right. I guess from a, you know, putting this with a business leader hat on um, what are the risks associated with that because obviously we've heard all of the stories right around ethics uh, ai ethics and is that even a thing or not or is it just ethics in general and, <laughs> and things yeah. like that right but i guess in that kind of direct to consumer channels that, that we're talking about here are there any risks with kind of having ai going so fast so quickly kind of supporting the business yeah it's a, no it's, it's 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 a great question i actually spend quite some time in in, in various uh, keynotes talking about that because that's one of the things that's you know with my background i've been very um I, I spent a lot of time sort of considering that part of it especially because i you know i wasn't joking before right there's, there's like companies in the world that are using you know our technology Hega technology uh, to make hundreds of millions of decisions a day and each of those is in part driven by ai right so you can't you know <laughs> You can't take any risk with that kind of thing. So we really, we really designed what we call and what others call as well responsible AI. It's the heart of 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 of, of many of the things 
Um, we do it certainly. Uh, you know, when it when it is about AI and getting an algorithm live, right, that is touching a customer, um, we worry about uh, various dimensions, and there's a lot of tooling around that to make sure. Like one of them is transparency, right? Do I understand what is happening? Um, and if not, right, and some of these fancy models, right, that you now have with deep learning, you may not actually understand it, right? But maybe that's not that big a deal because you can measure that it really works, and if it decides on where do I put my billboards or what's the background to this particular image? Maybe that's okay. Maybe not, but you know, but you want to have full control over that, right? So we supply tooling, for instance, around saying, hey, this is where we want maximum transparency, maybe around claim risk or credit risk, right? The regulator will look into that. Our compliance office will look into that. So we need to make sure that any algorithm that is activated gets this checked and we inspect that model and say, yeah, this is good to go. Otherwise, it can't take it into production. And in other areas, you may be, uh, you know, you can take a little bit more sort of, you know, opaqueness into the model. So that's transparency. The other thing is fairness, right? So that's about bias and ethical uh, bias checks and things like that. And that is also a complicated thing because I know everybody's talking about it, but it's typically done at the model level, right? The data scientist is maybe checking for a bias in the model. But what about if you are using hundreds of these models in production, plus lots of business logic uh, together, eligibility rules, suitability rules, maybe targeting rules, how does that work? in concert, right? So that's where you need to check fairness, which is what we do, but it's very important as one of the one of the responsible AI tenets. Um, a third one, and I know I go through this real quick, but I think this is dear to my heart, as you can tell, um, is robustness, right? This is morally when you have these self-learning models, right? And this is one of the things that I think probably you reference like, you know, Microsoft Tay going completely rogue after she was exposed <laughs> to, the, to the real world. Uh, but those kind of things happens. And I think, honestly, I thought that was a great experiment and it was an experiment, right? So, but you don't want that, you know, if you are an insurance company and you're talking to a lot of um, companies, a lot of customers and, 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 and your self-learning models are all over the place, right? So those models need to be robust. Right, and you need to make sure, first of all, that you understand the algorithm, but secondly, that you automatically track them and they don't go rogue on you when they're in production. And 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 you know the capability that we have um, is obviously always vetted by you know the the model office, if not the regulator in the industry. Um, and then the last thing I would call around responsible AI is what I call empathy. It's another place where I dedicated the whole. Um, um, keynote too, because you don't want to have like, you know, a clinical cold reasoning engine, you know, doing things. People sometimes think that's what AI does, um, but it's not like, so first of all, it's not just AI. There's a lot of rules and business logic on top of that. So that's a first line of defense to begin with. Uh, but even the AI actually can be much more empathetic, right? Because it can look at like, you know, what is relevant, what are customers' interests. It has a lot access to a lot more contextual data, right? So it's not a clinical logic executor, right? But it can take into account customer interest, can consider hardship, right? That maybe on the pandemic or in Australia, for instance, we have great examples around the forest fires where the, this bank immediately shifted to, uh, you know, not, not hard selling, but really saying, hey, don't worry about your mortgage payment this month because, you know, we understand you have, you know, bigger, bigger concerns. 
right? Or formulating suitability, right? AI can really help doing that. You could sell this, but should you, right? In some cases, maybe not. Uh, what do you want the brand to be? Anyway, so it's transparency, it's fairness, it's robustness and empathy, I think that needs to be part and parcel of any AI implementation. Yeah, you raised a great point there around the differences across the world, right? In different parts of the world and cultures and all of that type of stuff. I guess, how does that, how do businesses, especially when we talk about enterprise businesses, right? Because they're typically in multiple different geographical markets and, and things like that bringing it back to that kind of one-to-one engagement and then I guess the role that AI plays in that. How, how do businesses navigate those waters with those, you know, because what works in Europe might not work in South America, which might not work in Asia, for example, you know, how, how do businesses set themselves up for success in different parts of the world? Yeah, well, I think it's also partly driven now or maybe even mostly driven, right, by legislation right so in, in in europe we have you know gdpr and and, and gdpr is, a, is 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 often said to be really around data and consent and those kind of things but it also seems to say about like you know automated decisions right and and the fact that if it's a meaningful so that's obviously a big you know legal word but if it's a sort of if it has a legal significance to the decision like for instance you know selling a loan or uh, or taking on insurance those kind of things um, those models need to be um, need to be explainable but I think that's in general even when I talk to banks in other areas um, so outside the US where they have similar things going now in, in California but in, in Asia or, 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 or down under in APAC I think everybody is sort of designing for that kind of thing so we spent a lot of time Making sure that the the AI and the bias testing and all of these things are um, are are safe. Yeah, and how about from a, I guess that one to one engagement piece, right? Because I guess there's a there's an awful lot of work that goes into building and designing those frameworks and processes to you know try and personalize as much as possible on a one-to-one level but i guess there's a whole host of cultural differences right between the different nations how, how does that kind of play out yeah well but the, the funny observation here is that um, no matter where you go well i wouldn't say no matter but like you know everywhere you know <laughs> around the world um Companies do actually want to make money, right? That's what they own to the, to, to, to the, to the shareholders. So that makes it yeah. a very common goal. And then we'll take it from there. Now, but honestly, that is the case, right? This is not about like charity necessarily, although even there it plays out, right? Because it's about relevance. Um, but uh, I haven't seen a huge difference in... Um, um, you know, in the approach to to one to one, it's 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 very big in the uh, in the US. It's been big in in Australia. It's um, historically um, in Europe. This has been you know I, I mentioned O2, which was like I think two thousand. I don't know a long time ago, ten years ago, more than that. Um, so I don't see a huge difference in 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 sort of the importance of of customer centricity and and relevance. Yeah, no, that, uh, that makes sense. And I guess as we start to wrap this up then, Rob, I guess obviously you, you've spoken about the types of sectors where you seemingly do more work or, or you know, the, the, the size and scale of businesses. Is this really only for kind of enterprise scale businesses or can kind of SMEs get to this point of kind of, you know, 
one-to-one model engagement is that is that possible is it worth the time and investment i guess is, is the question yeah i think the jury is honestly uh, a little out on that because it, it it does this is very data hungry right so you do need so uh, this will obviously go down market right in 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 many ways and and you know and cloud solutions and as a surface all of these things will help you know sort of lower the threshold um but to lower it down to a level of an uh, of an SME, I'm not completely sure, right? And that's for two reasons. One is, as I mentioned, you know, the data uh, elements. You know, do you have enough interactions? Do you have enough channels to make it so complex that this is the only way possible? Um, and the other thing is that you know, if 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 you can, you know, count in a in a spreadsheet your customers, um, then maybe you know. You don't need to resort to you know AI and 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 those kind of sort of novel approaches. But this is coming down market. I mean, like not that long ago, our our internal guidance, you know, to say, hey, listen, focus on companies like, you know, five million customers and up. Then it became three million. I think currently it's like one million, and I'm sure this will go down um, further. Yeah. Yeah, makes sense. Okay, I guess as we uh, try and conclude then, Rob, I guess just very high level, if there's business leaders out there, um, because there are some business leaders that do listen to this podcast, but you know, if they're listening in thinking, look, this sounds great, but where do I start? Apart from obviously unpacking all of the great content that you've just given us, but from a, you know, if there's three or four key things that you'd urge them to kind of think about or start to consider you know, in order to get themselves set up for success in, in doing this, what, what would those be? Yeah, well, so first of all, I think, no, I know it's a big transformation, but but focus on the number, right? That really, you know, ask any vendor you talk to and definitely ask us, like, what is the actual ROI that you forecast knowing this industry and knowing that you've done this um, a lot of times before, right? Because those numbers are big and those numbers make for really, really good boardroom conversations, right? And then ask the vendor to back it up, right? And say, listen, if we want to get to this number, if we if we want to get to half that number, right? Where do we where do we start? And they will have the experience to say, these are the steps you need to take. This has been going on in insurance, it's been going on in banking, it's been going on in, in communications. This is sort of, you know, the road to um to to success that we've seen worked and only then start sort of thinking about like do we have the data do we have you know can we do the channel integrations because the answer to all of those things and I've been talking to a lot of different companies is always yes especially you know in that sort of that higher um um you know customer um you know where 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 the companies are just more big bigger and more complex that just always always works the other thing I would say is like, let's make sure this is not just about technology. And I know everybody says that, but it's particularly true here. If you want to go one-to-one, be one-to-one, right? Don't make customer centricity lip service only by saying, hey, yeah, but we use a targeting model, right? To be relevant to a customer. No, that's not about it. It's about like looking at every single thing in your company that you could talk about and decide what is the thing that is more relevant and apply your business logic to that. It's a very different approach. And the BAU model and the governance model around that will need to change. But as I said from the start, you know, eyes on the price, it's so worth it in terms of customer satisfaction and brand value and obviously in revenue. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, Rob, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. Very insightful conversation. I'm sure a lot of the listeners will take a, a lot from this. So thank you for joining us. I guess um, last thing before you go, if anyone is keen to kind of work with yourselves and, and Pegger wants to reach out, what's the best way for them to get hold of you? Yeah, the um, I would say if anybody listens and 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 has a particular question, just go to my directly to my to my to my email, which is rob walker um, at pega.com. So no surprises there. And um, <laughs> and if you just want to get sort of an insight of what Pega does in general and in one-to-one customer engagement specifically, just go to the website pega.com. Perfect, Rob. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure having you on, and uh, yeah, we look forward to uh, to speaking to you again soon. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, please follow Orbition Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like, and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these two. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week.